Good morning, everyone. Do you want to open your Bibles if you have them? If not, it should come up on the screen and turn to Psalm 116. So, we're continuing our current series on what it means to be a worshipping community. And let's just jump straight in and read this out. So, it says this. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise of the Lord. Just turn my, to my notes. So many of the Psalms, we know who wrote them, and we actually know quite a lot about the context of them. This particular Psalm, we don't actually know who's written it. The situation in the psalm where the psalmist is talking about how God delivered him from something you can take different views to what that something might be we don't know for certain but the the common view seems to be that actually the psalmist was on the brink of death so he was at death's door and God delivered him from that I think something to do with the context that is very important for us and that we can actually see is that This psalm is not only a personal story. It's not just a testimony of God working in someone's life and thanking him for what he's done. But actually, this is also a hymn to be shared publicly. It's a thankful hymn of what God has done and is doing. So it's not only only the psalmist worshipping God from that personal place, but actually, as the psalmist is sharing this... Hello. Uh, Actually, as the psalmist is sharing this, it's actually meant for corporate worship. It's like the very first line of the psalm was, I love the Lord. If you're speaking directly to him, you would say, God, I love you. So it's just just interesting. It's these important things to pick up upon. So actually, there's this sense of journeying together, of sharing lives and sharing our stories together, and therefore worshipping together. 
This doesn't mean that we have to share the innermost details of everything that's gone on. Sometimes things might happen, and actually it's not right to share that publicly from the front of church. But actually there's this sense that by sharing the gist maybe of what's gone on, or sharing certain details of what God is doing, it actually builds our faith. It was really good just listening to Lou and to Barry and to hearing actually what God had been speaking to them about and actually the action that they're taking because of that. And, yeah, I've, hearing God doing things builds our faith, doesn't it? And actually it's really good and really important to do. And so actually, what I'm talking about from this psalm today has an individual application, but it also has a corporate application for us. Because we're at the moment in this series, aren't we, being a worshipping community. And that's, that's what we want to be, isn't it? That's the goal. And so actually, maybe even, even if it means don't listen to me, be brainstorming in your mind as I'm talking. See if anything pings in your head. What does it mean for us to be a worshipping community? What does that look like? If we, if we don't have vision for that, we won't be able to build it, will we? Because the reality is, to build anything takes... It's been deliberate, isn't it? It takes effort, it takes time. And actually, it can't just be we've had this series on what it means to be a worshipping community, that's it, we're done, we move on. But like what Barry and Lou were saying, we've got things we need to process and we need to get a vision for what God is saying and then carry that forwards. And hopefully what I'm saying this morning will help with that. I just want to give an example of how Thanksgiving can be so beneficial in building up. Um, the other week at Growth Group, we, were, we got to talking a little bit about how sometimes from the front someone might say, right, let's, let's everyone give thanks to God for things. And the room goes quiet. And that, that doesn't mean people aren't thanking God, does it? And I think we can very easily judge situations from the outside, and I do that all the time, and it turns out you're completely wrong, because you don't know what's going on in someone's heart. But actually... We, there should be a sense of actually we all have so much to say thank you to God for, don't we? And so actually we got speaking about this as a growth group and we decided actually let's, let's spend some time thanking God for things. Let's spend time deliberately, whether they're big things, whether they're small things, whether they seem significant, whether they're things we just take for granted. Let's just spend the time thanking God. I won't share anything specifically now that was, was said because I haven't asked people. But there was this real sense of, well, things came up that I didn't even know was going on in people's lives. And they're like, I, could, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do it on my own, but yet God provided. And it's like story after story after thing after thing, where it's insi- things that seem insignificant, it doesn't seem significant, but like breathing. People said, I thank you that I have breath. But the Bible tells us that, that comes from God, doesn't it? The fact that we're alive comes from Him. Providing things that we can't do in our own strength comes from Him. And actually, it was probably the most dynamic time of worship I've had in a long time. And God was at work. And it was really uplifting. And there's a sense that as we share what God is doing and what he has done, it builds us up. It encourages us. But more than that, it takes us further in our relationship with him. And it, yeah, it just builds our faith. So I just wanted to share that with you as, a, as an encouragement. that Actually, maybe it's worth in small groups or growth groups. Not this week. Oh, I don't have to write questions. Sorry. <laughs> I've got things going on in my head for that. But um, yeah, but actually, maybe it's worth specifically us practicing that culture, that culture of Thanksgiving. Because we. I've, like Ezra, 
who's coming up to me in two, we spend a lot of time saying, say thank you, say ta. So we, we train our children. We have this culture of what we see is right in the UK, of training people, don't we? Of saying, actually, say thank you for that. It's polite. But yet, does that, do we carry that on with, our, with God? Are we actually good at saying thank you for things? It's gone away from my nose so much already. <laughs> so there are three main areas in this psalm that I want to focus on this morning. The present, the past, and the future. So the present place of the psalmist. So he starts, doesn't he, from the place of, I love you, Lord. So the present. The past of the psalmist. psalmist. So he actually recounts a situation that he's been through. He recounts what, basically, where he was in a time of trouble and God rescued him. So that's the, pre- uh, that's the past. And in the future. Because he then makes vows as to what he's going to go on to do from this point forwards. So, my pages are, seem to be in the wrong order. Ah, there we go. Right. So, looking at the present, the psalmist starts with a simple, a simple phrase, doesn't he? Yet it's so revealing. He says, I love the Lord. That only happens twice in Scripture, actually, that someone says that. They might say, I love your precepts. I love your commands. I love the work you're doing. <laughs> That's just, a, just an, an interesting thing. It's only in Psalm 18 as well that that's said. But it's, it's an intimate thing, isn't it? So telling someone you love them, if you've ever told... I mean, probably the only way you can remember the first time you've told someone you love them would be in terms of a relationship with someone. So like, I can remember the first time that I told Alex that I loved her. And I, love does funny things to us, doesn't it? Like, it makes your, your stomach go funny, it makes you nervous. And... So actually, but it, it's, it's something intimate, isn't it? It is something, it's making yourself vulnerable. And that's what the psalmist is starting from. He's starting from this place. And remember, this isn't just an individual thing, but this is like any one of you coming to the front of church and saying, God, I love you. I love you because you heard my voice. I love you. And that encourages us, doesn't it? It encourages us to hear people saying that. Alex and I have recently been watching a series called This Time Next Year. We've not purposely been watching it, but we've watched a few episodes. It's presented by Davina McCall, and it's quite a clever yet simple concept. People come on the show, and they state a goal that they want to achieve in the next 12 months. That person then leaves through the big doors with smoke, etc. And then what's, what seems to the viewer, a few seconds pass, a few moments, then suddenly the person comes out again, to say whether or not they achieve their goal. So what's happened, in essence, is a year has passed. So, like, Davina McCall has to wear the same dress, which she's been complaining about, because other people get to wear different dresses all the time that are worth thousands of pounds. And she doesn't get to do that. She doesn't even get to get a new tattoo, because <laughs> it'd be too obvious. But the concept of this program is, in the next... Yeah, you're setting yourself a goal that you want to achieve. And, and what I want to pick up from that is, one of the most common goals people find is that or that they go for, is they want to find that special someone. They want to find the love of their life. But there's two aspects to it. Because they want someone to love, and to tell that they love, but they also want to be loved. 
I think to some level that, that is something that, whether we admit it or not, even if it's deep down, we, we all need to be loved. And we all need to love others. Alex will sometimes ask me, what do I love about her? And there's a silent port. No, there's not a silent port. I'll tell her the things I love about her. I remember when we first started going out, I sent her, well, not straight away, but after I told her I loved her, I sent her a text of like, these are ten different things that I love about you. But I spread them out throughout the day to give her a blessed day. I should probably do that again soon. But, um, but or there were times where I'll just randomly say to her out in the blue, you know what, I really love this about you. Like the fact that you're so kind or generous or the fact that you bought me chocolate cake. It's provision, isn't it? No, but in all seriousness, it's we want to hear about love, don't we? We want to know that we are loved and we want to love others. We want to show others our love. So why does the psalmist love God? He states, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. So he loves God in response to God doing something. To me, that sounded a little bit weird at first, to love someone because they've done something for you. But actually, when I thought about it, it makes perfect sense. You see, a love begets love. And I know you can't hold that true 100% in every situation, but really as a principle, in many ways, that is true. If we turn to 1 John 4.19, it says this, We love because he first loved us. So God's love causes us to love him. Or it's the only way that we can love him. Obviously we can choose not to love him, not to engage with that. But actually, there's a sense that actually it's only because of God's love that we can love him. So here in the psalm, we see it's by God hearing and responding to the psalmist that the psalmist then turns out and cries, I love you. Now, there might well be loads of other reasons why the psalmist loves God, but that, that's what we're given in this context. I've certainly found that in times of distress, I've called out to God, and he would hear me, and he would respond, and I love the fact that he does that. It's comforting. It shows me he is there. He is in control. He is wanting to be in relationship with me. He is wanting to sustain me. And it actually grows me closer to him, the fact that he hears me. The fact that he's there for me. It's not a love based upon getting something out of it. But it's a love based upon trust. And it's a deep love. It's a love that knows you are for me and I am for you. Because as we said, love is is a two-way thing, isn't it? So the question is, do, do you love God? If you were to write a psalm... Can you start it from the place of, I love God? Or even do you feel like you love God at the moment? Do you ever articulate your love for God? Whether alone or in a corporate setting of the body of God? Like I say, it's not actually that often in the Bible that someone just says, God, I love you. I don't think we need to be walking around saying that all the time, every time we meet together. But I think these are good things just to chew over and just to think about. But actually, actually, do I love God? And if so, how, how do I express that? Would people at work know that I love God? Would people 
at the social club or where I play football or I don't know where I go to buy flowers for Alex. But they know I love God. But like, do you get do you get what I mean? Like, actually, love is something to be expressed. Actually, do others look at us and know that we love Him? So that is the present. So the psalmist is saying, I am in this place of loving God. Then he reflects on the past. So he remembers what's gone before. He remembers the hard place that he was in. And I think this is key, because it's far too easy to be forgetful, isn't it? We easily forget. Well, for Alex and myself, we've got our next baby due in May. And when we're talking about actually what it was like when Ezra came along, sometimes we have different... <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> facial expression. But we have different views and different opinions on what, what it was like. And she, like, because we remember things with tinted glasses, don't we? And actually she remembers something different to me. And actually it's only when we talk about it, we're like, oh yeah, no, it was like that. Or, okay, actually that bit wasn't as easy as I'm remembering it. But actually that bit was easier than I remember it. And actually there's this thing that we forget things. And actually it's, I think it's beneficial, isn't it, to, to work out how, how do I work? So how do I remember things? For me, I have to write things down. My calendar is full of notes. Unfortunately, sometimes I write a note that I must reply to this email. And then that day when it goes off, I put it to the next day and say, I must reply to this email. And then, yeah, it's been spiral. But notes are so useful for me and writing things down and helping me remember. Do we write down or do we, for however it works for you, do you do things to actually put in your memory, this is what God has done for me. This is, I was in this place, this hard place, and God has moved. I just want to read from verses 3 again. And just watch what happens as the psalmist remembers. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. So the psalmist is close to death. Death has its grip on him, it's tightening its hold around him. Yet, note his response. Verse 10, it says, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. In faith, he cries out to God. So he's in this really low place. He can see that there's no way for him to get out of it. And yet, in faith, he cries out to God and says, I'm greatly afflicted. He asks for his soul to be delivered and he pleads for mercy. It's funny, isn't it? I think sometimes when we're in distress and we cry out to God, or you can think, oh, actually, am I in faith? Because I'm, I'm in this lot's distress, am I in faith? But actually, here the psalmist is saying, no, no, I was in faith. I knew my God, I know who he is. 
I still cry out to him. I'm still real with him. And it's good to do. It's good. We have to be real with God. It's in the harder times in life that our faith is really tested. But it draws us into a deeper reliance upon God. And I think we can easily lose that in the everyday life. So the psalmist chooses to recall the dark places he was in. Where he was helpless and no way out. But what happens next is surprising. He, he doesn't even get to the place of saying, and God delivered me. He says, I cried out to God, gracious is the Lord. He erupts into praise. It's very easy, isn't it? I think when we're reading the scripture, to kind of read it monotone. But actually, when you see, see what's happening, he's not, he's not even got to the good bit yet. He's not got to the bit, and I was delivered. But as he's recounted what God done that when he's seen I was here and in his mind he's just getting to the bit like he started from the place of I'm here now but I was here and as he's remembering remembering the hardship the difficult place he was in this praise is just bubbling out he can't he can't even get to the end without saying gracious is the Lord and righteous our God is merciful it leads us to praise it might actually even be painful to think back on the, some of the hard places we've been in or some of the things God has delivered us from. But actually, it bears good fruit and it's important to do. And I think actually, as we share things with one another that God is doing in our lives, we, we, we feel each other's pain, don't we? But yet we also feel each other's joy. And it builds us up and it encourages us. So the psalmist in that point is reminding us God is gracious. He pours out his favour, favour, kindness, compassion on us. Even though we don't deserve it. God is righteous. God is just. Everything he does is morally right. And God is merciful. He is compassionate and kind towards us. He reaches down to help us. So remembering what he has done leads us to praise and leads us to thankfulness. And let's just remember, the psalmist is doing this publicly, isn't he? Every one of our stories matter. Because Mike's story, Steve's story, Phil's story, Carrie's story is our story. We are the body of Christ. And each one of these, these, these testimonies of what God has done and what God is doing draws us closer together as a community, closer together as a family, but also evokes praise for our God. So we're talking about how are we going to be a worshipping community? It's sharing life together, isn't it? But it's, it's making the effort, because it is effort, to remember what God has done. Reminding ourselves these things. Next, I want to move on to the future. So, a life of thanksgiving. 
So we've looked at the psalmist's current place of love in God. We've looked at how the psalmist looks to the past to recount what God has done. And how God rescued him. And that leads to praise. And now I want to look to the future. And a life of thanksgiving to God. In verses 12 to 14 it says this. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. To render render means what can I give? What can I help? What service? What payback can I give to God for all his benefits? It's a natural question, isn't it? So often if if people do really generous things for us in life, I, I, I know my natural response is, how can I pay this person back? What, what can I do to bless them because they've blessed me? But actually, yeah, I, I personally, I do find it hard, I think, to just receive things. Um, when I was living in Coventry, I was working at Nexus, and I've shared this a little bit before, but God told me very clearly to leave, to take a step of faith, quit my job, uh, and that he would show me what to do next. And once I'd left, uh, I was still doing a little bit of private teaching of guitar, and I wanted to be faithful, I wanted to steward my money well, so I'd try to stay on top of my finances, I had a little book, I'd write down everything, I'd know what money was for what in my account, uh, and I'd, I, had, I was also living by faith, because I was like, you know what God, if these people that I'm discipling here, if I can go out and buy them all coffee, if you're in that, I will do. And I did that at times, but other times I didn't felt, feel like God was saying that. And in that times, I had someone give me a, an envelope saying, here's money to go and bless the people you're discipling. And it's just like, as I gave out in faith, God gave back. But in all my diligence, somehow I managed to make a mistake. And there was a bill that I had not accounted for. And where I was private teaching, uh, there was room hire. And I don't know how I missed it. To be honest, I almost think it's a God thing. I think God was wanting to show me something. But I missed it. Uh, And this bill came for £300. I did not have £300 to pay the bill. I prayed about it. I shared it with a couple of people in my church. Someone gave me an envelope with the required money in it. And said, have it, take it, don't pay it back. That was difficult. I spoke to him about it. I was like, I, I, can't, I can't just take this. Like, I need to pay it back. I need to, I need to do something because I'm not, I'm not worthy of this. I need to do something. And yet he said, no, you're my brother in Christ. And when you see a brother in need, we need to help. We need to share what we have with those around us. That's a journey that I'm still on. <coughs> And it's a journey that I, I still find challenging at times. If someone buys me a coffee at work, I'm like, okay, now I need to buy them a coffee back. <laughs> uh, but there, there is this sense, I think, that we feel the need that we have to pay back, don't we? We feel the need that we have to give back. Acts 17.25 says, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life 
breath and everything. So everything we have, life, breath, money, possessions, everything, it's from God. It's his provision. So the psalmist saying, God, what can I render to you? What can I pay back to you? It's like, well, if you're giving God stuff back that we've only got because he gave it to us in the first place and he doesn't need it because he says... God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything and he gives us everything in the first place. It's not really paying him, is it? Like trying to give him... So when God does things to us and we try to pay him back, we're not, we, we can't. We can't pay him back. So, so what is the psalmist saying? Well, after asking the question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? He goes on to say, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So I want to quickly read something from John Piper on that verse, which I found really useful. He says this, The psalmist's answer to his own question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits, is, I will lift up the cup of salvation and I will call on the name of the Lord. In other words, I call on the name of the Lord to fill the cup. I'm saying like, God, I need you to fill the cup. (laughs) To pay back the Lord means to go on receiving from the Lord so that the Lord's inexhaustible goodness will be magnified. I'm going to read that again. Even though I lost it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it says, To pay back the Lord means to go on receiving from the Lord, so holding out the cup, to keep receiving from the Lord, so that the Lord's inexhaustible goodness will be magnified. So it's saying, by grace, we turn to the Lord and we receive from him more. And that glorifies him. That's our payback, is we glorify him by receiving from him. It says in Romans, doesn't it? Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So we reign in life by receiving from Christ. I just want to quickly turn to Isaiah 55 because suddenly this passage makes a bit more sense to me in the context of this. And I think it's, it's really important. And then we'll draw to an end. But it says in Isaiah 55... Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without prize. What does it mean when it says, you who have no money, come and buy? doesn't make sense in my mind. And suddenly, as I was looking at this passage, it started to make sense. Like grace paid the debt for us on the cross by looking to God and holding up the cup and saying, Lord, we, we need you. We receive from you that your goodness may be magnified. It's actually saying, come by and eat with the money you don't have. Basically, come and receive. What God is saying is we need to live lives which receive from him. And as we receive from him, we rule and reign in life. And as we receive from him, his name is glorified. 
Lifting up the cup of salvation signifies taking the Lord's satisfying salvation in hand and drinking it and expecting more. So that's Piper still. I will render to God the praise and the tribute that he is never in need of me, but is always overflowing with benefits when I need him, which I always do. So we need to learn to receive from God. We need to drink of the Lord's satisfying salvation and expect more because we will come up against persecution and hard times. And in those times, we need to be drawing from God's cup of salvation and expecting more. We can live in the confidence that God doesn't need us but loves us and chooses us. And our reliance on him as our saviour actually glorifies him. So in conclusion, we are to live lives of thanksgiving by declaring our love for God. Being honest with where we're currently at. By recounting who our God is and what he has done for us. By drinking of his salvation and calling on his name. And in all this, we need to learn to receive from him because that glorifies him most.